Thank you for tuning in. This is the Fit Minute Podcast, where we talk all things health, fitness, and lifestyle. And now for the show. Welcome back. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar. And on today's episode, I have a returning guest, Dr. Glenn Livingston. How are you today? I am pretty good. I've been looking forward to talking to you. Yeah. So Dr. Glenn Livingston is a veteran psychologist and former CEO, and he is the author of his new book, Defeat Your Cravings. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your perception of what this book is about and how that perception has changed. So let's start there. So tell me a little bit about the book and the perception of that overeating and, and all about it. Okay. Well, the old book was specifically for binge eaters. And it was really um, starting with the story of how I beat my own problem because I used to be almost 300 pounds and had ridiculously high triglycerides and everything. Um, and it was a story about how I fixed my thinking about food, how I at first started out trying to love myself thin, and that didn't really work, trying to hold in my heart. Um, but eventually came to the conclusion that I had to be the alpha dog of my own mind. And I had to eradicate all of the justifications I would have for breaking my own rules. And so, you know, an example of that might be, I had this inner food enemy that would say, um, Glenn, you don't really, you worked out hard enough today. You don't have to follow your chocolate rule today because it's not going to do you any damage. It's just as easy to start again tomorrow. And I would say, wait a minute. That's not actually true because the principle of neuroplasticity says what fires together, wires together, which means that if I have the thought, if I have a craving for chocolate and I have the thought that says just start tomorrow, and then I indulge that craving, I'm going to have a deeper craving tomorrow and I'd be more likely to think start tomorrow, tomorrow. So if you're in a hole, you got to stop digging, use the present moment to be healthy. That would be an example of a cognitive refutation for my excuses. And I would, um, you could also call it fixing your thinking about food. And it removes the justification. It makes it psychologically uncomfortable. That's how I recovered, but it took a lot of years. Um, and then, so that I, I recovered about 20 years ago now, I guess, over the course of several years, keeping a journal of all the crazy things my uh, I, I called up my inner pig. You don't have to call it your pig, but I did. My inner pig would tell me and why they were wrong. And, um, and then I published the book in 2015. It really took off, got over a million readers, wound up coaching you know, 40 or 50 people a month in our programs, 2,000 people overall over the course of many years, and got really good at fixing people's thinking fast. So whereas it took me a couple of years, within a month or two, we could really fix people's thinking. So we develop, you know, thinking techniques to, to make a difference. But there was a little bit of a chink in the armor, which was that eventually people, most people would have these moments when they would say, screw it, just do it. Like, I know all the reasons that I have for this are invalid. I know why they're invalid. I'm not thinking incorrectly anymore, but you know, I just really want to, I'm going to have a conscious pig party. Let's screw it, just do it. And they would. And I would say, what is that about? Um, and I kind of thought back on my own recovery and I thought, well, even though I was focusing on fixing my thinking, 
I actually did some other things along the way. For example, I would not only like I had a rule that said I will never have chocolate during the week. And if I had a chocolate craving, I would not only examine what the pig said and fix it, but I would also ask myself, what do I genuinely need? For example, a kale banana smoothie would take away the craving for the chocolate. It wouldn't get me high the way that the chocolate bar would, but it would scratch the itch. I would feel more content and I wouldn't need to have the chocolate. Um, other times I recognized when I had a, you know, if I had a craving for a big bowl of pasta and cheese or something, I often needed a nap. I just needed to like step away from the rat race, even if it was just a 10 minute cat nap and kind of restore my equilibrium like that. Sometimes it was because I was too tired. Um, you know, I really just hadn't been, I've been a little sleep deprived. I wasn't taking care of myself. And I was kind of putting that all together. And I started observing when this happened with my clients. I would ask them to kind of trace back the day or two before. And, and I would always see that it, that screw it, just do it response didn't just instantaneously happen. There was a build. Maybe they skipped breakfast. Maybe they had family in town and they were overwhelmed with decision-making. They didn't have enough time for themselves. Maybe they got dehydrated. Maybe they got too socially isolated. But something was causing this kind of organismic distress, what psychologists would call organismic distress. And um, you can beat that, even if you are in organismic distress, you can you can refute the pig's thinking when it says, screw it, just do it. You can say, well, I don't care that you don't care, pig, because I care very much. So you can separate from the pig and reassert your you know, dominant, higher constructive self. But for most people, it just was a lot easier if we understood the organismic distress and how to prevent it in the first place. Um, and so the new book integrates that understanding to eliminate the screw it, just do it response. So you get to fix your thinking as a foundation, but now you can make it a lot more comfortable along the way. Um, it also focuses a lot on the science of cravings. Those are things that we learned by studying the science over the last eight years that um, made a tremendous difference. It, it focuses on how to automate the new thinking in, in ways that we hadn't focused on before. And, um, you know, it's designed more for every person as opposed to just binge eaters. Um, you know, I, I wrote this article for Psychology Today where I pointed out that most people were asking me, I've, I've done like 400 of these radio show and podcast appearances, and most people ask me, how do I know if I'm a binge eater? How do I know if I need help? And eventually I got tired of answering that question because I said, look, according to the World Health Organization, the DSM-5 um, you know, statistical manual definition of binge eating disorder is only met between 2 and 4% of the population, uh, depending upon the study that you look at. And that's by the DSM-5. The um, World Health Organization says that 40% of the population is, is obese and almost three times as many people have heart disease as, to, as compared to 20 years ago. And, you know, di diabetes is up by 81%. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And so everybody's asking, well, am I a binge eater or not? I would say, who cares? 40% of the people have a serious problem. Another 40% of the people have a significant problem, not maybe not quite as serious. And what I'm teaching has nothing to do with surgery or pills or anything invasive. It doesn't cost $20,000 to you know, do this massive one month long intervention. Like why not just 
take some techniques which can help you reorganize your thinking about food and eat within your own best judgment, I think that can benefit almost anybody who ever eats beyond their own best judgment. So um, the book is much more oriented towards every person. That's why it's called Defeat Your Cravings as opposed to um, having binge in the title. Yeah, I think that the the difference is, is that when we think of binge eating, it's eating a large amount at one time. Um, and then maybe not eating for a long period of time, but overeating can be binge eating, but it cannot be binge eating. So, you know, a lot of people are overeating at a sitting and maybe not necessarily binging. Mm -hmm. uh, you're just eating too much and maybe not even realizing that you're eating too much because our portion sizes are so large. So understanding that portion sizes matter, understanding that, you know, your cravings matter, understanding that you can have some and not all. You don't have to eat an entire sleeve of Oreos. You don't have to eat the whole thing of Pringles. You can have some chips. And having cravings is not necessarily a bad thing. So when you're craving something, what, like you said, it could mean that you need a need a nap. It could mean that you're dehydrated. It could mean that you're, you know, stressed. So there are there are other reasons for having cravings that may not necessarily be that you're you're hungry, or it could be that you're hungry. So, you know, there are a lot of things that relate to that. And I think it's interesting that you are switching that gear here because, like you said the previous book relates to the cognitive skills to overcome that, overcome that justification, where now you're recognizing that that's only part of it. That's only part of the, ba the, the battle in understanding why you're eating too much. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, you know, the standard American diet doesn't seem to recognize that, you know, when you go out to eat and they bring you a plate or an appetizer, you know, that plate of food is probably two to three servings, yes. not one, you yes. know? So automatically when you get a plate of food at a restaurant, you should take half away. Yeah, sometimes uh, I heard this from Jack Trimpey. Uh, he used another word, but essentially he said, when you go out to dinner, half is for you, half is for your pig. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you think about it, you know, when when you think about serving sizes, people don't have any idea, you know, like a serving size of, you know, vegetables is a fist, like at least your fist or meat would be the palm of your hand. So you have to understand that what you're eating is just as important as how much you're eating. Mm -hmm. We don't need as much food as we think that we do, and, and we'll be more satisfied on fewer calories the more whole foods that we eat, mm -hmm. regardless of whether you are uh, a carnivore's mind or the you know the vegetarian's mind. Mm -hmm. um, you'll be more satisfied on less food if you're eating more whole foods. Exactly. The other thing you, I'm sorry, I'll let you go where you want. No, go ahead. No good. Well, you also kind of mentioned that having cravings is not a bad thing. I I would go further. I I think that. Cravings are a sign of a healthy mind doing its job. A uh, hundred thousand years ago, if we didn't have cravings, we wouldn't be motivated to 
find signals that indicated that food was available and then do the work that was necessary to, to acquire that food and we would have starved. It's much much scarcer food environment. Mm -hmm. And so cravings were actually a survival advantage, which is why they're so strong today. Unfortunately, it doesn't serve us well in the modern food environment. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's a sickness or a disease. It just means that um, there are a bunch of fat cats in white suits with mustaches that are hijacking your your healthy brain survival drive. And, 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 and there, Yeah, and we need to understand how to control that or how yeah. to use it to our advantage, mm -hmm. right? So tell me with this new book, with Defeat Your Cravings, what are some techniques and methods that you discuss in the book to help people overcome those cravings or overcome overeating? Well, first you need to really understand how the extinction of cravings works because most people think that if they, for example, if you're craving pizza every day on the way home from work when you pass a particular pizza place, most people think if you made a rule that says, I'll never stop at that pizza place again, that the craving should just go down in a straight line, slowly, 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 over the course of 30 days. Um, that's not exactly how it works. What happens at first is that there's a little honeymoon period where it seems a lot easier than you thought it was going to be. And then, oh my God, you have higher cravings than you've ever had before. And your pig is going to tell you that you're, you're going to be tortured forever. This is going to be impossible. And a lot of people quit when this happens because they're not expecting that little temper tantrum on the part of your brain. Um, it doesn't last forever. If you stick it through, it starts to go down steadily after that. But let's just talk about why that happens. It's called an extinction burst. When you're trying to extinguish a behavior, it's called an extinction burst. And... Can you imagine it's 100,000 years ago again? And let's talk about this caveman named Thag. And Thag really likes bananas. And he runs into a monkey who leads him to a banana tree. And Thag follows the monkey to the banana tree. And he eats lots of bananas, gorges himself, which also, by the way, would have been a survival advantage. In a scarce food environment, when you found food, you had to take in as much as possible. Um, it's not really the case in today's world, but it was the case 100,000 years ago. So Thag gets all excited to follow the monkey. He's got cravings whenever he sees a monkey now, because he knows mon monkeys equals bananas. Monkeys take him to a, a banana tree. Um, so then let's say Thag follows another monkey to another banana tree and another monkey to another banana tree. And then suddenly the banana trees start to go sparse a little bit and he follows a monkey and it takes him to a, bar a barren banana tree. What do you think Thag would do at that point? Would he give up? He'd keep looking for banana trees. He'd double down. His brain would double down. The reason is that the monkey was a real find. In a scarce food environment, when there's a signal that increases your odds of finding bananas, you want to keep following that signal even if if food is getting scarce, you want to work even harder because maybe only 80% of the time it's going to lead to a banana tree. In a really scarce food environment, Thag would follow the monkey, even if it was only offering a 20% reward because 20% um, is better than nothing because Thag could starve if it didn't do that. And so the brain is very reluctant once it finds a signal that leads to a 
acquisition of calories that's very reluctant to give up that signal. It's especially reluctant if the reinforcement is random. If, if it's not clear when Thag is going to find bananas or not, it's going to work even harder. That's why you get those old ladies in Las Vegas pulling on the slot machine all day long and they're kind of stuck there because they don't know when it's going to pay off. It's called variable ratio, ratio intermittent reinforcement. It's a fancy word for saying, I don't know when this thing is going to pay off. I better be here and keep trying. The dopamine just keeps flooding and flooding and saying, you better do it. You better do it. You better do it. Okay. So that going back to the extinction curve, that burst is your brain going, where the F are my bananas, right? Where the F is my pizza. Um, it's doubling down and trying really hard to be sure that <laughs> the craving has not, the, the signal has not become an intermittently reinforced signal, that it's not available once in a while. So before it's going to give up on it, it's going to throw a temper tantrum and try really hard. Where the F are my bananas? Where the F is my pizza? Okay. Then if you stick your, if you stick it out, it's going to start going down slowly but surely. And if it's a daily habit, somewhere around 21 exposures, you might have a another little burst or two, little tries, but then the brain gives up. Um, I want to mention one thing along the way, which is when people get towards the bottom of the curve, they often get overconfident and they think, I've got this. I can randomly have pizza from the pizza place again. You, you don't have it. You're going, to, you're going to reactivate the whole thing and set the whole thing in motion again. So once you get over the wall, like if you were escaping out of prison, don't go back to visit your friends. Just keep running away from the wall as fast as you can. It's a great analogy. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so then there are a couple of little, a little, you know, last tries. And then what happens is the brain does not erase that learning because it might be, it could be valuable in the future. The brain does not want to erase learning how to acquire calories. So it holds on to the learning, unfortunately, but it will label it dormant because the brain is very efficient and it doesn't want you wasting energy to motivate you to go do things that are not going to lead to a reward. So it will label it dormant and you'll no longer be bothered with the craving um, as long as you don't reactivate it. This is why, this is another reason why you're out of prison. You want to keep running because um, it will be reactivated and actually stronger than it was the first time in a heartbeat. Because maybe you found another monkey that leads to banana trees after all the other monkeys only took you to barren trees. So the brain gets all excited it does that. So knowing that, it, first of all, helps you to take every extinction seriously. Remember that overeating is not a single habit. It's a collection of habits. For example, struggles with pizza would be a collection of habits. Um and you need to think about every every food signal and reward pair. That's how overeating habits are developed in these little pairs. So you had the pizzeria on the way home from work, but maybe also maybe you also played gin rummy with the girls on Saturday nights, and maybe only maybe like only once a month. Do you play gin rummy? You probably I don't know why I said that. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but maybe you do play gin rummy with the girls on Saturday nights, and so you um, you go through this one month, you get over the curve. And you can drive by the pizza place, no problem whatsoever now. But then you go to this Gin Remy game and you guys usually order pizza when you were there and you only go once a month or so. And all of a sudden you've got these awful food cravings and you think, I failed. This stuff doesn't work. But you didn't fail. You succeeded in extinguishing and labeling dormant 
the pizza place as a signal for the availability of pizza. And instead, you so you, you succeeded in that, but you had not addressed the signal of being playing gin rummy with your your friends with pizza in the in the in the apartment. Um, and so, as a practical matter, usually eighty percent of the problem is tied to the daily habit, and people go through it pretty quickly. But there are these occasional signals they hadn't thought about. Maybe one has to do with, you know, the holidays or going away on vacation or suddenly going out with their colleagues at work that they hadn't thought about. And they erroneously conclude that they're a failure when that happens, when all that it means is you need to make a plan for taking care of yourself and abstaining in those new signals. So those new signals can be extinguished also. Um, your pig will say this makes it impossible. It's really not the momentum you get from extinguishing that first craving is incredible. Um, and if it were impossible, we wouldn't get the results we get, which is a 90% reduction in overeating after just one month for the engaged clients. So this is a very so, possible thing to do. Leading into my next question, how do you, you create a plan or create a food plan and stick to it? The thing most people do wrong is they try to create a very strict plan that would represent a strict diet right away and take the weight off really quickly. And the problem with that is that it perpetuates a feast and famine cycle. It causes you to over-restrict, which sets you up for um, overeating later on. Um, also, when you set a really high bar, when those days come along that you don't have your mojo, you're not going to be able to clear it. If you periodically fail with that bar, you're going to lose out on leveraging the identity function. The identity function is the function that says, when I observe myself doing something day in and day out, I must be a person who does that thing. So if I only eat chocolate on Saturdays, that was a fairly low bar for me because I didn't have to give it up altogether, then uh, I observe myself becoming a person who only eats chocolate on Saturdays. If I never go back for seconds, maybe that's a low bar. Then I observe myself becoming a person that never goes back for seconds. And character trumps willpower. Character is only what we habitually do at the moment of temptation. And we have this character-forming shortcut mechanism in our mind because, you know, we don't push old ladies down on the street because we're not sociopaths. We don't take the waitress's tip at the diner because we're not thieves. Um, you don't have to think about that and agonize about every last decision. You just, that's just not the kind of person you are. You want, you want to be able to leverage that identity function for overeating as well. Um, so the long and the short of it is I tell people to start, unless there is a medical emergency, start with one simple rule. Don't worry about weight loss the first week or two, as long as it's okay with your doctor. And just teach yourself that you're actually capable of setting a rule and following it every day. Um, I always put my fork down between bites. I never go back for seconds. I always take a picture of my food before I eat it. I never go to bed without writing down a hypothetical food plan for the next day. I don't have to follow it. I just have to write it down. These are examples of rules that could and would make a big difference, but wouldn't feel too onerous or depriving so that it's easy to clear when you don't have your mojo. Um, so you start there, you live with that for a week or two. Um, once you set down a rule, you're going to be stimulating that part of you that wants to break it. That's expected and, um, and desired. So don't be scared of that. But 
pay attention when you hear any voice in your head. Let's say the rule is I'll never go back for seconds. Any thought in your head that suggests that maybe you should is now your inner food monster. And so your monster moaning for mush, whatever you want to call it. I call it my pig squealing for slop, but you can say your monster's moaning for mush. And um, once you are awake and you recognize that that's what happening, that's what's happening, then you you take a deep breath. We call it a 7-Eleven breath, where you breathe in for a count of seven and out for a count of 11. The reason you want to do that is that will signal your nervous system that there's no emergency here. It takes you out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is that part of you that prepares you for emergency action. You know, just hand over the chocolate and nobody gets hurt. That That's what's happening is a sympathetic nervous system activation. Um, it'll take you out of that system and activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of your nervous system that says it's okay to rest and digest and plan and strategize. We have everything we need right now. So you take a couple of 7-Eleven breaths if you can, and then you say, okay, pig, I see you. I know that you're active. Why do you want me to break my rules and give up on my hopes and dreams? Because you set down the rules for a particular reason, right? Why do you want me to break my rule and give up on my hopes and dreams? And then you see what it says. One bite's not going to hurt. Oh, it doesn't matter. Your parents are fat. You're doomed. You're always going to be fat. It doesn't matter what you do. You might as well just, you know, go to town right now. Whatever it says, then you take another 7-Eleven breath. It's better if you do this in writing if you can. And then you say, why is the pig wrong? What's wrong with its logic? It usually wins with a half truth and a bigger lie. So, for example, what's true about the fact when the pig says that my parents are 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 fat, so I'm doomed. Well, my parents are fat, um, but that doesn't mean that I'm doomed. I have a bigger hill to climb up. Um, but it's the studies on genetics and obesity suggest that it's a little less than half of the variance. So, diet and exercise are actually more important. Um, and so I'm absolutely not doomed. My my genetics might suck, but I can still live a, a relatively thin life. And I do. I mean, my parents are both are both chubby. Um, so you disempower it with a rational. Uh, my, sorry. <laughs> you disempower it with um, by pointing out its false logic, and then you take a breath and say, "Why would I be happier or feel like a better person if I didn't listen to what my pig was saying now?" And well, it's because. I'll feel like the master of my own fate. I'll be able to craft my own life. I'll be able to continue feeling like a tall, thin man who can radiate a smiling presence and participate in the world. And that's how you do it. That's that's the very basic technique for fixing your thinking. And there's there's a lot more you can do and a lot of other techniques I can offer you, but um, that's the basic technique. Yeah. I, I'm sorry if I made you laugh for calling your parents chubby. I thought that was a oh. very polite way to... <laughs> Oh, yeah, they, they, they were, they were. <laughs> uh, so obviously we know, I mean, 40% of the population is overweight. So definitely people need this and, and people need help. People need help. I mean, that's obviously why I do what I do. There's a lot of trainers and health coaches and, you know, nutrition coaches and doctors that help with this. So if, if people are looking to get help, how can they find you or your book? I, I'd like you to start with our free stuff. I offer an awful lot for free just to be sure that people resonate with me. And I know it sounds a little harsher, abstract 
that there's this doctor on Gabby's show who's got a pig inside of him. Um, so if you go to defeatyourcravings.com and click on the blue button, I'll give you three things. One is a free copy of the book in Kindle Nook or PDF format. So I'd highly encourage everybody to go off and do that. We do have the more customary forms and there's a customary charge for the paperback or the audible, but um, get a free copy of Defreach Your Cravings by clicking the big blue button, signing up for the reader bonus list. What you'll also get when you do that are a set of free food plan starter templates. So regardless of your dietary philosophy, we're diet agnostic, as long as you have a reasonable plan, I can, I can help you. Um, it doesn't matter if you're ketogenic or point counting or calorie counting or, you know, vegetarian or whole food plant-based, it, it doesn't matter. We came up with a set of sample food plan starter templates for you um, and a whole bunch of other free stuff, including recorded coaching sessions. So you can see how this works in practice, that it's not really as harsh as what you, what you think it is. Um, and you'll be led to our individual and group coaching, all the other things that we offer. Um, but there's a lot of free stuff and you should start there to make sure that you resonate first at defeatyourcravings.com and click the big blue button. And what's the benefit? What's the benefit of what you do? Oh, what isn't the benefit of what we do? It's, um, you know, I tell people that I'm teaching you to open a space between stimulus and response. And it's between stimulus and response that we live where we have the ability to choose. So I can help you to take your eating off of autopilot and be able to stick to the food plan of your choice, um, which really is the beginning of opening up a more proactive life. It's the difference between feeling in charge and like the master of your own fate versus feeling like you're, um, you know, your pig slave, like you're in, you're in a pig slave. So makes a world of difference, usually helps people with food obsession. Um, people, we take happiness scores before and after, and those, those go up significantly also. So um, yeah, it's all at the futurecravings.com. Click the big blue button. Yeah. And you live this, you live this and you've done this. Yourself. No, no. I mean, this is, I'm not 300 yeah. pounds anymore. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, I've done this for, uh, I'm pretty sure I was 41 or 42 when it started. I'm 59 now. So I guess not quite 20 years. Yeah. So very I mean, long time, very long it's time. not, this isn't just you saying, you know, Hey, follow this. This is something that you live and breathe every day to teach people how, what you've done and what you've researched to help others to, to defeat their cravings, to empower I, 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 themselves, to, to really take charge of that feeling and need to, to overeat and to not feel, not feel the way they feel anymore. And I, I think that, that that's empowering. And I think that's a really great thing because I think so many people feel hopeless and lost and don't know where to start and don't know they've tried everything. I think people have tried everything. They've dieted, yo-yo dieted, done everything under the sun. And, you know, you have to, you have to start here. You have to start in the head and, and not just with the food that's go not just with the food that's going in your mouth. You have to understand that it's in your brain telling you to do these things. And, and a lot of it is, you know, just the way we're wired, right? Well, true that, true that. <laughs> yeah. So yes. you can unwire it. No, you're still wired that way, but you, you, can, you, you have you control can, of that. You can create new pathways and send your brain's energy down that and label the old pathways as dormant. Exactly, exactly.
Well, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today that you think is important for them to know about you or about your new book or anything that you would like to share with them? Oh, there's one important thing I'd like to say, okay. which is um, boom, chugga-lugga-lugga, boom, chugga-lugga-lugga, boom, chugga-lugga-lugga, boom. I don't know. I, I never know what to say when people ask that at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. I don't either, but I ask it at the end of every podcast because, yeah. you know, you never know if there's something. I mean, what, what I, I could leave you with a quote from Jim Rohn, who's one of my favorite um, philosophers. He says that a life of discipline is better than a life of regret. We we tend to think that um, discipline takes away our freedom, but actually freedom is built upon discipline. You could think of when you drive a car, the discipline of the engineers makes it possible for your steering wheel to rotate 30 degrees, your wheels to rotate 30 degrees when you rotate the steering wheel 30 degrees, which greatly expands your radius of locomotion because you can feel confident about driving the car around town. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a jazz pianist. And so I practiced my skills like crazy and I studied the structure of music. Knowing that structure allowed me to improvise my soul away from the structure, knowing that the structure was kind of underneath and how I could get back to it. Um, the the food rules and the discipline to be able to follow them are like those skills and they allow you to really experience much more food freedom in your life than you could possibly imagine. So um, yeah, life of discipline is better than a life of regret. And Peter McWilliams said, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. Um, sometimes you got to choose. So yeah, uh, go to defeatyourcravings.com. Get yes. the book. Thank you so much, Glenn. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate you returning and sharing your new book with us. DefeatYourCravings.com. You can get his uh, free ebook or the free book um, through Kindle, uh, any of his templates and see some of his videos, coaching videos as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Gabby. Yes, appreciate and, it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we will see you all next week. And if you're interested in any of our fitcations as well, you can go on to destinationfitcations.com where you can be healthy and be on vacation. So see you all next week. Bye.